0: Apple presents events at the Apple Store. All right, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome this afternoon's guest
1: moderator, Eric Cohn.
2: It's really cozy up here. I feel like I could just hang out with you and bring out the guests in a little bit of time, but we actually have a really cool conversation coming up, so I'm not going to waste too much introducing it. Uh, The Adderall Diaries is a really fascinating movie. It's adapted from a book, and uh, it's a really incredible uh, story about a a guy who's struggling with his past on on a lot of different levels. And uh, it stars James Franco and Ed Harris in two of their more sort of shocking performances I've seen in quite some time. So we're going to dig into that with a couple of people who are involved in that movie. Um, And after we're done, I hope that some of you will go check out the other Apple Talks that we have coming up at the store. Uh, we love working with these guys each year and uh, curating a selection of films and filmmakers that are at the festival, and I think, honestly, this is the best year we've had to date, so I'm, I'm really happy with the, the guests that we've, we've got coming up, so I hope you'll come back for more. Uh, but before they, we do that, let's talk about the Adderall Diary. so please join me in welcoming director Pamela Romanowski, director of photography Bruce Terry Chung, and a man who needs no introduction, but we'll give him one anyway, Ed Harris. So I I, I didn't want to uh, get anything wrong about sort of the the context of this film. So maybe Pamela, you can give us a little bit of background. Sometimes we show trailers from the film, but we didn't have one today. So can you tell us a little bit about sort of the source material here and how you became aware of it? Sure.
0: Um, We're here with the Adderall Diaries. It premiered at the Trebek Film Festival last night. It was our world premiere. And um, the story is about a writer who's father shows up and accuses him of lying about his past and so it's sort of an exploration of memory and about how the stories we tell inform our identities and about how those things are often malleable and people who share a history don't necessarily share the same story.
2: You know, a lot of times when people are making their first feature they tackle something that's sort of you know easy going, maybe a little light to you know, get your feet wet. This is sort of the opposite of that. It's a pretty dark story and it's got a lot of heavy stuff going on. So how, how did you end up sort of singling out this particular one for, for your first feature?
0: Well, that answer has two parts to it. The first is I read the book just as a casual reader first um, because I live next to an awesome bookstore called Word in Brooklyn. And like many books I pick up, it's because I saw them in the window and went in and got a recommendation. So. Um, As a reader, I loved the book, it really stuck with me and there's a lot to think about within it. Um, And then separately from that, uh, James Franco, who is a friend of mine from grad school, he he and Bruce and I all went to NYU together and um, we'd made a short film together that became part of a multi-director omnibus film called The Color of Time. And we loved working together, and so he offered to help me make a first feature and brought this book to me as um, a project to adapt. And, you know, it was great creative synchronicity and a book I already loved, so it was a very easy yes.
2: <laughs> so, Ed, how about you? How, did you Were you aware of this book before the project came to you? Or?
1: No, I wasn't. I was, you know, I go out to the Sundance Film Lab in June when I'm not working in an, as an advisor. And several Junes ago, Pamela was... Uh, one of the um, fellows who was working on scenes from this story and so i worked with her you know i was just there for a week but we worked several times on some of the different scenes with other actors you know that were there brought in and um, you know really liked pamela I really thought that she uh... was very focused on what she wanted to do she had a lot of a lot of work ahead of her. She was still working on the script, but we had a good time. And when she she so she asked me if I would play the father uh, when she got ready to film it. And I said yeah. And so I had not read the book prior, but I did of course read it once uh, she asked me to be a part of it.
2: So Bruce,
1: the, um, t- tell us a little bit about your,
2: your background here because you all went to NYU together so you, you'd worked together in the past but was this the first feature that you worked on as well as a cinematographer?
3: Um, it's not, uh, well, um, as Pat mentioned earlier um, we were friends from NYU and we had worked on this um, film called The Cutter of Time which was like a movie where they had eight directors and we all kind of co-directed scenes from the film kind of put it together and I think that was the first project where I um, I guess got to got to know um, James James through and James kind of brought me on to other features that he was kind of directing um, on his own a film called The Sound of the Fury another film called Bukowski um, and it was just really fun just like kind of building I guess I've been lucky to 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 have um, friends like Pam and James, and, um, you know, that we've been able to build with and keep, keep growing with as as filmmakers. Yeah. Well, we should talk a
2: little bit about the tone of this movie because it's very particular. It goes between two different time periods, this troubled youth, and the present day. It's got moments that are sort of exciting with the, you know, sort of the Franco character living this writer life and being successful, and then much darker moments. So. How did you sort of map out the the tenor of different scenes as you were figuring out what sort of movie you wanted this to be?
0: Um, I think, you know, there's, a, there's an idea that a film, especially the way that you edit it, is um, like a symphony or like a piece of music in that any tempo, no matter how exciting or how soothing, you'd grow tired of eventually. So um, in the writing and in the editing and on set, I think, it was always a matter of sort of finding what the right tempo for that part in the movie was um, and trying to find a way to make um, these very big or violent or intense scenes um, feel real and feel human um, and relatable. So I think there's always kind of a sense of humility and of gracefulness. Um, you know, Bruce and I. The visual style, had, you know, we used a lot of steady cam and Bruce is just sort of a poetic and intuitive person, and so that camera style um, kind of lent itself to, you know, the ability to be free and be organic in what we were shooting.
2: Well, how about performance? Because there's a whole history of, you know, really troubled father-son relationships that have been portrayed on screen, and there's always that danger that you can go over the top. Ed, what's your sort of... Uh, way of, uh, your sort of barometer, let's say, for figuring out, you know, how do you go up to that point without crossing it? You know, you, you want to make it
1: believable. I like crossing that point and making it believable. So, I mean, this guy, you know, especially the the, the history scene, you know, the scenes when he was younger, in the editing, they're just you just see kind of glimpses of these things, but we shot them as Complete scenes. I mean, there, you know, there was, a, there was a lot more going on, and it it got Timothy, who plays the younger version of James's character. He was really game, you know, because we, we I smacked him around quite a bit. I mean, we, we it was very violent, you know, and very uh, real. I thought I didn't I didn't yeah. think there was any chance of going too far with it, you know. I mean, we were careful. Obviously, nobody got hurt, but you know, and so. I, I don't know. I guess, you know, I've been doing this for a while, so I have a certain uh, bullshit barometer that I don't cross, you know. Because it starts t- going, <laughs> you
2: know. Correct. <laughs> right. Well, what was the tone like for you guys on set? I mean, when you're doing scenes like that, does it feel like you're sort of in the zone and there with the characters, or do you go in and out?
1: Well, it's very intense, you know. I mean, and this, these guys, you know, the Pamela and Bruce and the rest of the crew were very... Uh, you know I mean there's a lot of stuff there's a, the S&M stuff that J- James does and you know so it was very sensitive you know the crew was very sensitive to whatever was going on with the actors and I never felt uh, like I couldn't do what I had to do you know and just go for it you know I mean that was this the whole feeling of the of the shoot for me was you, just, you gotta go for it here man don't hold back I mean if Pamela if something's too much Pamela will say but in terms of putting it out there, that's my job, you know.
2: Pamela, what about for you just sort of directing through some of these moments? I mean, as Ed said, you know, there, there's some really intense sexuality and, and drug use and so forth, and need to make it believable, you know, in a way that, that draws people into this experience. So when you're doing multiple takes, I imagine there, there must be some sort of protocol for figuring out what exactly you want. How did you sort of figure out what that was?
0: Um, like to limit the number of takes, do you mean?
2: Well, not not that technical. I mean, it's more just about figuring out how you want this to come across on mm. the screen.
0: Um, I think kind of what Ed said is there's like an internal barometer that tells you when it feels true and when it feels right. Um, and I had the privilege of working with a really incredible cast and a really incredible DP and a really incredible crew. So, you know, these are people who I trust completely and it always feels like you're you know, working towards the same goal. So I think there's just a moment where it's clear and things gel and you're on set. And, you know, there's magic there and the scene feels how it's supposed to feel. And I kind of think everybody knows that. Um, You know, if after that anyone wants to make an adjustment, then we do that. Um, But, you know, we didn't have to do a whole lot of takes. I think, like Ed said, everyone went for it. and so it's pretty easy to accomplish what we wanted emotionally and then, you know, you cover it.
1: You know, and to establish that, that atmosphere of, with, you know, with actors, especially of trust, you know, it really comes down from the top. It comes down from Pamela and who she cast and because you've got to have people that are willing, you know, to trust and be trusted. And then the, all the way down the line, I mean, the actors were there to help serve her vision of this thing. And so, you know, that's what you're trying to do.
2: And Bruce, when you're sort of, you're behind the camera, you're not you're not directing, but are, are there ways in which you, you feel like as a collaborator, you can sort of influence the direction of, of, of the film and how things are going? I mean, it's obviously, it's not purely just a technical job for you.
3: Yeah, I feel like for this for this movie here, where we have such a great cast and it's such an instinctual, intuitive project I try to be a little bit um, as invisible as possible in, in, in the get-go I kind of want to give Ed and James and Amber the freedom that as much freedom as possible to, to occupy the space and like own a scene and then and after watching the rehearsals it's me and me and my, me and my team we, we kind of react to it and be, be instinctive to it. Um, we, we shot a steady cam and long lenses to kind of give ourselves maximum flexibility in terms of like movement and like to be out of the way to kind of shoot from far away or to like come in and come out as nimbly as possible. And, you know, and like I don't wanna I don't want the actors or Pam to ever wait on wait on the technology side of things, on the camera side. I want to be I know they want to move fast so I wanna I want to be there with them and, and move just as quick.
2: So. Now, what sort of expectation did you guys have going into this? I mean, you've got, obviously you knew James, but at the same time you've got a, a name actors involved in, in a project which a lot of people spend years trying to make happen. I mean, was it daunting or did you just kind of go with it?
0: Um, it was very reassuring. I think, you know, I already knew Ed and really trusted him. I already knew James and trusted him. Um, and everyone in my cast, you know, in addition to being great actors, or are great people who I connected with and really wanted to be there. So um, as a first-time director, it's a pretty incredible privilege to have that kind of firepower behind you and have that kind of trust. Um, so no, it was the opposite of intimidating. I felt like I had you know, incredible teammates and everything that I needed to attack this project.
2: And how long was the shoot?
0: 27 days, I think.
2: So about average. Did it did it feel like it went quickly for you? I mean, oh yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. (laughs) It feels like it happened yesterday. It was a year ago.
2: What what surprised you about the way that things came together?
0: Hmm. Um. Well, it was my first feature, so in a way, everything's surprising. Um, You know, I got to. I was just telling Ed that I got to the set the first day and saw like the little parking permit signs, and I always kind of look at those like around the neighborhood just because I'm in film and curious and. They say the Adderall Diaries, and I see the trucks, and I was sort of processing, and I was like, this is my movie. It's really happening. And then I saw Bruce, and then I saw Ed. And, you know, from that moment on, it was like, you know, light bulb, bing, here we go. Um, And so it was a real pleasure. There were tons of surprises along the way, um, but all great. I think one of the great joys of directing is that what you have in your head and then what ends up being in front of you are different, Um, and that's because every person who you're collaborating with is bringing themselves and sort of breathing life into it in a way that makes it real Um, so you know Ed and James and the cast have really great instincts and you know bring their own surprises with them you know Bruce would come up with beautiful shots I never would have thought of in the moment Um, and there are all kinds of sort of happy accidents that happen that end up being some of my favorite moments
2: Ed, as, as somebody who's been doing this, as you said, for a long time, I mean, do you still experience this sort of freshness on, on a new film shooter, or is it just a routine at this point? No,
1: no. I mean, the moment, you know, cameras set up, you rehearse, and the, the act between action and cut, you know, still very uh, exciting. I like doing it.
2: Well, that's the crucial thing, otherwise we wouldn't be here. Because you
1: never know, you know, what you might come up with. I mean, it's always, I enjoy take two, whatever is going to happen. You just keep trying to explore the character and the particular scene, and hopefully it's working.
2: Do you figure out sort of the whole backstory in terms of what we don't see versus what we do see? I mean, how much... How much of what what's not in the film is, is part of sort of how you relate yeah, to Yeah, well, movies. you know, I mean,
1: Neil, the, the, Stephen's father, is, is still alive, and he actually wrote a couple novels himself, uh, which I, I think I started one. I said, wow, okay, I get the idea here. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, did a lot of, you know, you just do, you know, the script was very strong, and and the book is the book, so, you know, you have that. and you know, you just kind of, I didn't really do that much other research other than just a lot of thought about it, you know, and, and uh, you know, the relationship with his son. I mean, I, I don't have a son, but I have a daughter, and obviously, I mean, thank God my relationship with her is not anything like this relationship, but it's still a parental thing, and you know, you know that bond, you know, which is eternal, so there was a lot of stuff I could deal with. And
2: Pamela, how, how much sort of, communication with the real-life characters did you have sort of figuring out how to tell the story?
0: Um, I I didn't meet anyone except for Stephen, who was really helpful to me from early on, especially um, when I was first starting work on the screenplay. I met with him a couple of times. Um, And, you know, in addition to his book, so much of what he told me and just watching him, you know, it's a film about a lot about a guy's inner life, Um, So just being able to watch someone sort of process and understand his psychology was um, a pretty unique thing. I don't think there are many times you can, like, call your main character up and ask them a question. Um, So it was really cool. And then I think, you know, at some point, if you're adapting something into a screenplay, you know, no matter how much you love that book, you put it on the shelf. You can't hurt the book. The book is still going to be there. And, you know, you have to make it into a movie.
2: Has he seen the final result yet?
0: Yeah, he was there last night.
2: So you had this big screening. Did you get a sense for what he felt in terms of how it played compared for to? For what he felt or what I felt? What he felt. We'll get to what you felt in a minute.
0: Um, I can't really speak for his feelings, I'm not sure. Um, but I'm, I'm also curious, so we should ask him. Um, I felt great. I think you, know, you sit alone with the movie in a tiny room for a lot of the time, editing it and color correcting. Um, And I love being on set and magic happens. I mean, it it just does. There's like this strange alchemy and things gel and it's real. And then that magic goes away for a really long time. (laughs) And then at some point, you know, when you're finishing, the magic's kind of back. And then, you know, showing it to an audience for the first time is really exciting because that's the whole point is to communicate and to connect with people. And so hearing and feeling people react to it and connect with it is really awesome.
2: Before we go to an audience Q and A, uh, you've had you had this big screening last night at the Borough Manhattan Community College, which is a, a, a crowd that's probably much larger than movies made on much bigger budgets can sometimes get into a theater. So it was, it was a huge deal, and it also I, I imagine can be surreal for somebody who works on you know a relatively low budget movie and doesn't have distribution and so forth. So what sort of expectations do you have for making these kinds of movies? I mean, does getting to the finish line with one project inform the steps you want to take at this point, given the different kinds of challenges involved in getting your, getting your work out there?
0: Um, I don't know. It's my first movie, so I'm, I'm just really glad that, you know, to have finished it, and I have a couple other projects kind of in mind. Um, I think as far as scale... Um, you know, one director I admire a lot is Steven Soderbergh, who does tiny movies and does huge movies. And I think there's something to be said for letting the content of the movie dictate, like, how much money you're going to spend on it and what you think your audience is going to be. Um, so I would love to be the kind of director who can work in all kinds of different ranges and medium.
2: And, Ed, you've worked on all kinds of scales, both as actor and director. Is there a sort of sweet spot as far as you're concerned, or what what sort of advice do you have on that front?
1: I don't know. You know, the business is changing so much, so I've done a lot of independent films in the past few years, and most of them nobody even knows about because they come and go so fast, at least in the theaters, if they even get to the theaters. And they do this whole thing now where it's on video on demand initially, and then then they open the thing for a weekend and you go, well, wait a minute, and with no advertising at all, and so you say, well, how is anybody supposed to know about this film? And they go, well, it's been on VOD for several weeks, so that's letting them know it's going to come in the theaters, and when it's in the theaters, that's letting them know it's on VOD, and we don't have to spend an and nickel, you know, and it's absurd, so I don't really know. Uh, you know, if, you know, I finally found another project I want to do and I don't know where it'll end up. I mean, it's it's weird. It's a strange time. I mean, the, you know, the cineplexes are filled with huge, huge, huge budgeted films and there are so many independent, I mean, you know, look at the film festival, there's so many independent films made every year, you know, many of them are really fine films and it's just, how do you find them, you know?
2: maybe somebody in the audience knows. Why don't we open it up for a QA? and
3: so, a Ed, I was curious, you've worked with the big directors, you've worked with small directors, the question was asked a little bit about what the difference is, uh, well, what it is working with a young director, a new director. Are there certain little special experiences that you get from that that, you know, c- certain discoveries, a level of freedom or uh, uh, that you get don't get from a, a more seasoned director where there's sort of a level of expectations and, and, and talk about maybe some special moments here in the filming of this film
1: well it's just really the you know it's it's the material that dictates a lot of that and I mean I just I, I worked not long ago on this thing geostorm big picture you know Dean Devlin doing it Bradley Cooper etc and most of the time I was being directed for the camera, in other words, this is my, the shot I need, I need you to be here, etc, cetera, etc. Cetera. This film is like, this is what we're doing, the camera will find out how to film us, okay? And so you, that's the kind of two extremes, and, and that's, you know, it's fine, I mean, it, I enjoyed both processes, I'm not, I don't remember exactly the nature of your, what your question was, but... uh.
3: maybe some special moment here that, you know, because it's a new... Well,
1: I mean, I loved working with Pamela because, it, first of all, a lot of times, first time directors and especially, you know, people, they're not making independent films and make any money. It's not about that. You know what I mean? It's about passion and it's about wanting to say something, having a voice and, and, and having material that you just want to, you know, it's like a painter or a musician or a composer. It's like, I've got to do it. I've got to put this out there for no other reason than I'm being driven to do so and so to be a part of that and to try to serve her vision—it's—it's—it's it's exciting, you know. It's—it's—it's it's, uh, it's a two-way street. I mean, you're giving and you're getting, and you know, you're just hoping you're contributing to help this thing work as a piece of art. But I don't remember any specific. I just—the one scene that I wish was in there was when I handcuffed my son to the pipe when he's trying to kill himself, slit his wrists, and, he's, and he's, he says something really mean to me. There's no dialogue in these scenes because it was just, it's visual. But he said this really nasty thing, and I went boom, 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 right across his face, you know? And then, and then I think I kissed him or something and then walked away. And I just really loved that moment because it was so instinctive. And, it, and, they, and Timothy was totally cool. He was just like, Whoa. you know? But so for some reason, she didn't put it in the movie.
0: For the record, it's because the shot does not tell you that's what's happening. It's like backs.
2: Oh, you don't I see it. I, I, no, I, I this know. is actually an, a moment that I'm sorry. <laughs> that's, that's, that's the,
0: the downside. It's a memorable <laughs> moment, though. It <laughs> is. I will always remember it. That's the downside. And Timothy downside won't to it. forget it. <laughs> no, that's
1: but you, the you, one you downside. He to it. It.
0: camera finds the action is. Sometimes you miss it. That's all
2: right, yeah. But it's in a monologue, yes. I mean, you sort of, you picked yeah. up the slack. Well, I'll, and well,
0: it. I'll remember it. It was amazing. I, my jaw was, like, on the floor, and then I rolled it back up and, and carried on.
3: Um, my question's more directed towards Pamela, though also Ed and Bruce. Um, I'd love to know um, what in the story essentially kind of hit your gut and was the push inside of you personally to make you want to make this film?
0: Um, for me it was the idea that two people could have a shared history but not a shared story. And the idea that a villain in one version of it might cast themselves very differently in their telling. Um, and I, like Ed said, have you know, a lovely family and so that you know my relationship with my parents is not at all like that. they're here in fact, and they're wonderful. Um, but I think you know there are people in my life who I feel burned by, and there are things that have traumatized me and there's something um, there's some degree of empathy I think, in healing that can come from looking at how the other person might tell that story and realizing that um a lot of the way we construct narratives about painful things has to do with, you know, the need to cope or the need to make sense of it. Um, And I, I just think there's something sort of humble and humanizing in that process.
2: Hi, Uh, I was wondering when you first find out that the project is going through and that it's going to be the real thing, there must be some, like there must be the novelty of like, wow, this is going to be a big deal. And is there a moment where There's like insecurity about, is this going to be good? Is this going to be what I want it to be? And then you get to work and it's just, it just happens. Like, I guess that wasn't really a question, but. (laughs) I would say
0: yes, 100% of the time. There is insecurity and excitement and hope. Um, You know, that's what makes it exciting and unpredictable. Um, I read on the film festival site that this is the first year that they've had such a large Uh, selection from female filmmakers. And Pamela, I was kind of hoping you could speak to that and kind of talk about what you think the future is for filmmaking and what women's role is inside that. Sure, Um, I always have a hard time with that question because I think the goal is to be asked about being a filmmaker and not a female. And it will be great when that isn't a question anymore. At the same time, you know, it's a sexist industry like many are. and I, you know, it's exciting to see more women directing. That said, there have always been women directing. Um, and I think that's changing and changing fast. Um, and yeah, Tribeca does have a record number of female directors. I think you know, they're a great festival support, young directors, female directors, New York directors. Um, so I'm very glad to be a part of it.
2: Hi, um,
0: this is for all three of you. Ed, when you were talking about the little indie movies being um, passion projects, I'm just wondering, given the nature, the changing nature of the business now, if any of you feel that going the TV, the premium TV series route is akin to that, or does that not do it for you? Does that not feel passionate? For example, if you took a book and you wanted to adapt it. Would you consider maybe doing it as a limited series, because, or do you just? Con-
1: no, I mean, I, I, I think they're doing some obviously great stuff on the, you know, cable networks and the, and TV and stuff. And this, this thing I'm working on at the moment, I don't really know where it's going to end up. I mean, I'm hoping I can make it, you know, feature length film. But if the script ends up n- needing more time than that I have nothing against trying to get a, you know, couple of hour and a half things or whatever might be on whatever network or cable thing would give me the money to do it. You know, we'll just see.
0: I would say the same. I think um, TV is a exciting place to be and um, you know, it's a, there are a lot of kind of avant-garde, avant-garde stories happening there. Um, there are a lot of TV series I love. I would love to direct something.
1: I mean, you get, you'd get, you have more people seeing it on a, you know, scre- you know, streamed whatever than I would putting it in an independent movie house for four weekends. That's for damn sure.
2: Mm-hmm. You just did a TV series. You've been working on a TV series. Recently. Well, I'm doing this
1: HBO, this Westworld thing, which we shot the pilot for. And I, we're supposed to shoot nine more episodes, but I don't think we're starting back up till July. But well, it's pretty cool, I think. You know, it's based on that old 70s film, you know, with uh, Yul Brenner and... Westworld. West yeah, yeah. Richard Benjamin.
2: Um, so Pamela, it seems like everything kind of came together, like a picture-perfect puzzle. So I'm just wondering if there were any challenges and kind of how you dealt with those and um, any advice to people in you know, directing their first feature, things like that. Um,
0: yeah, I th- there are a lot of obstacles along the way. I think like Ed has spoken about making an indie film and getting it financed um, and off the ground is a really hard thing. Um, and it was not <laughs> easy for us the whole way. I mean, we're speaking about it from the other side where it's done, but there were a lot of moments along the way where you know, I had doubts about whether it would happen. Um, and I think my primary advice to other filmmakers is to find your people and to be very grateful for them when you find them. Hi guys, I'm Alexandria Collins. Just stumbled upon this, it's so amazing. So I love your work, Ed. Um, I had a question, Pamela. I've just done short films and director as well, but how did you get people to really believe in your feature film project? Of course, having a great story is the basis, but like what did you do to really get this project going? I didn't hear the first part if you did answer that question, but. it's a tricky question. I don't, there's a lot of um, talking people, there's a lot of talking people into joining you on a movie. And I don't. Well, I don't the know Sundance I thing was it. a, you know. Yeah, actually, that that's a good point. Um, Ed and I met at the Sundance Institute's Directors Lab, um, and that was a huge turning point in the life of this script. Was getting to do the Screenwriters Lab, the Directors Lab. Um, you know, it's a really incredible place and an incredible group of people, um, and it exists to help you make this film better, to make your story better, to hone it, hone your craft, and also to meet a whole bunch of people who can help you along the way. Um, and because you know they do great work and it has generated some really great films, I think being a part of it just generates some degree of attention and interest. Um, so that was absolutely a huge turning point in the project.
3: Uh, this question is for the three of you. And you guys were talking about being grateful. So. As a filmmaker, I know that there's always, in each project, there's a moment that I take with me that's a special moment. I was wondering if each of you can share what your special moment was during the making of. I still remember this one moment where, um, where it was like your, the the scene we were doing with, um, where Ed and James had a confrontation in James' apartment and we just did the first take, and the first take was amazing. And um, we wanted to move on to close-ups, so I was lining up a long lens to get a close-up of Ed. and Ed was kind enough to stay on, on set and and just stand in. And when I lined the close-up, um, you were still in character, and you were still you were you were almost crying, even though we weren't filming. You we were you were still like in the moment and like um, living it out, living the confrontation out, and. I was so, um, I guess, blown away and touched by that because to work with, you know, the caliber of actor who um, just gives 100% makes you want to give 100% too in everything you do, you know, that's that's pretty amazing, yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, I have so many to choose from, but I think uh, one that comes to mind since you guys are on either side of me is um, there's a scene where... Um, Ed is delivering this kind of monologue into a camera, like to record a VHS tape, and um, you know it's a really emotional scene and one of my favorites in the movie. And so watching, getting to watch Ed do that scene, it was like a tiny set, I think it was just Bruce, another camera operator, people who were playing focus, and so I was sitting right next to you like on a little apple box with the monitor. and you did this monologue and it was so beautiful and moving and, you know, I was crying at the monitor. And then you look over and Bruce is like, you know, we had two cameras, so we're getting the shot we intended to get. And then Bruce is taking the steady cam and is doing this shot that kind of floats around him. And so the scene in the movie ends up being cut. There's a transition between those two shots. And so it's like, you know, we go from this tape to Ed in real life and get so much like access to him emotionally um, and so I had these two amazing partners in getting that scene in it. That was one of those moments that just felt magical on set.
1: I don't know I mean that was yeah that day was kinda cool because it was just I we didn't do it very much.
0: No, three takes. Did like a
1: take or two and uh, it's where he's trying to apologize to his son via this video he's recording himself. Um, but I don't know. I mean, another special moment was this, <laughs> and the kiss. <laughs> but I just, I just enjoyed working on it. The thing with Pamela, you know, I mean, because this was fun, and I was just so fucking. I'm sorry. I'm just so proud of her, you know, because she, she, you know, she made a film, and she did a great job.
2: That slapping scene is gonna make a great DVD outtake. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah. <we have> to. <laughs> We're going to reshoot it. Well, you
1: can't see it, though. <laughs> yeah. you know? We'll reshoot it. <laughs> <laughs> and working with James, you know, I really enjoyed working with James. I'd never met him before. And uh, he's such a busy guy. You know, he was doing Of Mice and Men at the same time. Yeah. But he was always really present and uh, he was just right there. And we don't look anything alike in terms of father-son. I mean, he's dark, dark eyes. But you... I totally buy that this is father and son because we had a good, you know, relationship.
2: Hi. Um, well, my question is sort of along the way, but not really. Uh, you know, working on a film set is, uh, besides being, you know, a professional and... You know, special and etc. It's also, it also can be fun. So, I was wondering if you guys have any memorable anecdotes, especially if you're working with someone like James Frank or Ed Harris, I'm sure you had plenty. So, you know, if you guys could share the ones that were most memorable for you, that would be great.
0: Um, I had a great time. I think, I mean, Ed had always had these baseball gloves, and you'd like play catch with the PAs. And I remember like looking over a couple times and you know, we'd be like going back on set and whatever PA you'd been playing catch with, you would just be like grinning year
2: to year.
1: And by the way, I had a glove that I had had since I was 12 years old, 52 years old, at 51 at the time, and I lost it, and I think I left it in my trailer or something. So oh, if no. anybody's ever watching this and sees an old Jim Bunning model glove, says Ed Harris, Carmen Hall, which is at Columbia, you know, let 10th, 13th floor or something contact me, because I'd really like to get it back.
0: That's
2: beautiful.
1: Calling all your production assistants. (laughs)
2: Uh, So this wasn't the last time to see the movie last night. There's actually more screenings at the Tribeca Film Festival. When's the next opportunity?
0: Uh, There's a screening tonight. I think it's at 6.30. Um, Man, I don't know the date off the top of my head, but...
2: They're all on the Tribeca website. Easy enough to find, so hopefully people will go check it out. Thanks for being here, guys, and thanks for sticking around.